Lisa. Good morning, Sunridge. How are you guys doing? Welcome online guests. If you don't know me, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to be your teacher this morning. Uh, as always, at the beginning of the service, I just ask you to say hello to somebody that you recognize. Just put that in the comment feed uh, on our online uh, the stream. And then if you're new, if you're new, like, uh, just say, I'm new. Put that in there. We're not going to do anything weird to you. We won't send a church bus by your house. We're not going to send you offering envelopes. We just want to know. We'll be able to say hello to you just like we could here. You know, one of the things that um, has been so weird about this time is we're not gathering on Sunday morning, and we miss you guys so much, and we're constantly following the health guidelines and seeking opportunities uh, to work within those parameters, but you know, we're not just sitting back waiting for Jesus to return here at Sunridge. I am so excited about the things that we are doing and the things that we're talking about. And of course, Lisa started off uh, this morning by talking about what we are doing. And the rally is so important to this community right now. Unless you're just totally you know, under a rock somewhere, or you, you're not really knowing what's going on. These kids are sitting in front of computer screens um, hours a day. Parents are struggling to keep them focused. Teachers are struggling. This is a huge thing in our community, and we have always said that Sunrise is a church for this community. We don't just uh, exist here. We're not against our community. We're for it. And so we're always looking for the gaps that we can fill in, in the name of Jesus. And that's what this rally is all about. Um, if you're a guy, I want you to really listen to me right now. Men, I'm talking specifically to you, and I'm asking you, I'm challenging you to step up. To step up into the rally in three different ways, in case you just need extra direction. One is the literacy link that Lisa talked about. We need guys that will come down here and help kids learn to read. I've signed up for that. And again, it's lower grade level, so you don't have to be freaked out. You're not going to read Tolstoy and explain it to anybody. You're going to be reading books that even you and I can understand, right? So guys, I'm challenging you. Also, some of you guys, um, you, you, you're an expert at a sport. You're a coach, and you could hold a clinic for these kids. Get them out of the house. Get them away from that screen and let them do something that they love to do and to learn how to do it and to be around a man of God. That's an opportunity for you, guys. And then lastly, I just want to encourage you that, you know, we need families to get together. You know, can't a guy put together like a sports night? Make it simple. It's something that families can come out and play. We don't have to kill each other, but it's anything to do with a ball. It can be wiffle ball. It can be pickleball. It can be basketball. It can be football. It can be the gospel. You can tell I have Baptist roots, right? So guys, here's the thing. They're going to put the link up. Uh, they've probably already done it for uh, the rally. I want you to step up. And um, it's a challenge, so do it. You know, uh, so that's sermon one. That's a short sermon, but pretty direct. And now I have a longer sermon. It'll take me a little longer to build up to. And this is more, not what we're doing, but this is what we're talking about. And again, it's so relevant to what's going on in our world, in our community, in other churches, and certainly here at Sunridge. Um, we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to Philemon today. 
So you might have to scramble around a little while to find that if you're, if you're opening your Bible with us. I'm going to put all the verses up on the screen. You just want to relax and drink your coffee. But if I were to ask you, um, who is Philemon? And what is this letter all about? Some of you are like, Phi, Phi who? It's Philemon. And uh, I have to be honest with you, like, I've always read through my Bible, and I just never really stopped and thought about Philemon until we were studying Colossians. And what you should know about this letter from Paul is that it could, it's, even though it's not in order in your New Testament, it is connected to Paul's letter to the Colossians. And when we studied through this, this is when I studied this particular letter in, in depth that I had never really done before, just to be honest. And, uh, but it is so applicable to what we're talking about today. Um, so Philemon is connected to the church at Colossae because that's where Philemon resided, and he had a home church. He had a church in his house that you'll see as we go through the letter today. Um, this is not a typical letter for Paul for several reasons. One is it's his shortest letter, uh, and if you know anything about ancient letters, records that we have, not just Bible letters, but, uh, you know, just letters in general. Paul was a lengthy writer. He was known as a long letter writer, and it really stands out. You could tell he was a pastor. He had a lot to say, right? But then also, uh, what's not typical for Paul is that this letter is written to an individual, not a congregation, not a community of faith. It's much more in keeping of, like, Paul's letter to Timothy or to uh, Titus, and then lastly, the thing that really makes this letter stand out is it's a single issue that Paul's addressing. And often, if you're familiar with reading his letters, he's, he's writing to churches that he's founded or been a part of, and he's like dealing with multiple issues. This is a single issue. And even though it's not related directly to what we've been talking about here at Sunridge, um, it applies indirectly, and you're gonna see that. Uh, we have been in a study, a teaching series that we're calling Half the Church. And the idea there is that half of our church lack the clarity, our women, in their roles, in their boundaries. And I've talked about this before, but I'm going to mention it again. It's like they, there was so, it was so unclear here that when I took this position as lead pastor, there was one prohibition in our written documents, in our policies, and that was that a woman could not become an elder. And yet, nobody agreed on even that statement that was given to me as the lead pastor. Even on the board, we debated this issue, the elder board that we had. And, the, and that contention was sharp. So that as we've unpacked this, as we've discussed it, and the board spent three years talking about it, the contention has been so sharp that some people left our church immediately and when they heard that we were going to remove that boundary, that we didn't think that gender should be um, the qualification or lack of or a, a barrier to someone who has been gifted by God to serve in a role in the church. And that's basically what the, the board decided after three years of studying this and researching it and doing everything that we did involved in it, we decided, we determined that all Christ followers should be free to express their God-given gifts without limitation, and that includes gender. And yet, even on an elder board, the people that have the, the most, 
lay commitment in terms of doctrinal issues and everything, we did not agree. And so that, that became super important. So if this is the first time you've heard us talk about it, this is your first message from half the church. I really encourage you to go back because this is the final wrap-up, and we'll bring it around full circle, but you really need to listen to each part. Um, Philemon applies to this in a special way because it really helps those of you who are struggling. You're still at Sunridge, and you're like, I still have questions, and even though we've talked about these issues, we've looked at Paul's writings, we've looked at the original design, we've looked at ways that we don't bring certain things forward because of other reasons. Um, You're still like in limbo. You're still uncomfortable, and I think that Paul's letter to Philemon is really going to help you. There's a note sheet that goes with this, and uh, you should follow along because there are some pretty key points that you'll want to see as we, um, as we go through this. Um, so the main issue in this letter, the single issue, is that Onesimus, who is a slave, um, he escapes from Philemon's household, and likely he stole from him when he did, but as he's away, he becomes a Christian through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And in this letter, Paul is asking Philemon to take Onesimus back, but not as a slave, to bring him back into his household as a brother. Now, you're going to see as we go through this letter that this contradicts the cultural setting, setting that they're in. This is totally countercultural to their experience. It's in conflict with Paul's formal teaching on this, specifically even to the Colossians, and that's going to be really important. But Paul brings out values that are of greater consideration than this specific tradition or issue. So let's just jump into it. There's a setting and context. We'll start in Philemon 1, or there's only one chapter, verse 1. And as always with Paul's letters, there's a to and a from, and that's what he opens up with here. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. That's who this letter is from. Timothy is either with Paul, he's contributing to this letter, he's scribing for him possibly, it doesn't really say, but the letter comes from both of them. To Philemon, this is who the letter's written to, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you get to not only see who this letter is from right off the bat, but you see who it's written to. And the list is interesting. First of all, you have Philemon. We've talked about him. He, um, he has a church being held in his house. And somehow, like in Paul's ministry in Colossae, Philemon and his household had become Christians. Some scholars, most scholars believe that he's probably the pastor of this house church. Paul mentions the church that meets in his home, and he calls him a dear friend and a co-worker. So there's, there's not just a relationship between Philemon and Paul, there's, there's a ministry that they share. And then Aphia is probably... Philemon's wife. 
And she's included in this letter. He, Paul is specifically saying that this letter isn't just to the man of the household. He's bringing her in to this conversation, which is significant. Likely in, in a household of that time, the wife would be over all the household uh, servants and slaves. And so she's going to need to buy in to what Paul is talking about. And Paul recognizes that from the get-go. And then there's Archippus, which could be their son, likely. And by the way, um, history shows that all three, Philemon, Aphia, and Archippus, were all martyred for their faith during uh, Nero's persecution. So these are people that are like wholly committed to the cause of Christ. And then also Paul notes that he's writing to the congregation. The letter is titled to Philemon, but he notes that he's writing to the church that meets in your home as well because what he's going to say is going to be instructive to them as well. They're all in this together. It's not just going to be a Philemon issue. And what Paul is asking of them is going to affect them as part of this congregation and possibly, likely, it's going to upset some of them. Then Paul goes into his typical uh, kind of like introductory remarks that he does in a letter. It's, a th- it's usually thanks and a prayer. And in verse 4, he says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. I love that about Paul. When he thinks about the people in his life, he's thankful for them when he prays. Because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother Philemon, have refreshed the heart of the saints. What's so beautiful about what Paul recalls about the ministry and work of Philemon and his family is that one, he says, I'm so thankful for your faith in Christ. But then that faith doesn't stand alone. You see, Paul brings out some things about that faith. He says that you've refreshed the hearts of the saints. That is, you're engaged in loving the family of God. And then he also adds that I'm praying for you that you will also be active in sharing your faith. So three things your faith in Christ, your, your service and love for the saints, and then actively sharing your faith in your community and around the world. And what's cool about this is he, he notes here that it's like these three things, I'm so thankful and I remember these and I pray them into your life so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Now to me, this is, this is really significant because Paul is saying that someone who has faith in Christ, who loves the saints, and who is actively sharing their faith, knows something, has a fuller understanding of their relationship with Christ because of these three things. And you know, I think that that really stands out because often one part is missing in us, right? My experience has been in the church that there are some people who have a very strong faith and it's very personal to them and they spend a lot of time studying the Bible, but but maybe they never share their faith. They They don't have 
a connection with people that are outside of their faith. Or, or you could have this deep faith and not really refresh the saints, not really love the church with all of its blemishes and you know, faults and everything. It's like it really takes all three. And Paul says when those are active in your life, there's something that, that happens in your relationship with God that cannot happen with all three. I don't know about you, but I want that. That's, I want to have a full understanding of who Jesus is. And I realize that that, in, that involves me having a deep faith of loving the church and being a powerful influence in the world. And without any of those, our faith is lacking. Do you want that? Put that in the chat right now. Someone give me an amen like that. Just say, I want that. Now to the point, we're going to skip a few verses but come back because I want to highlight the specific asks that Paul has of Philemon. And then I want to come back through and uh, address the why. So in verse 9, I then, as Paul, an old man, amen, I can relate to that, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's in prison at this time when he's writing the letter. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. The first thing I want you to see is the heart of Paul here. This is a, this is a personal ask of Philemon. It's a human ask. He doesn't go into like a big theological discussion. This is very human and personal. And you know, like I love this about Paul because he, sometimes he can come off as like so smart he doesn't get it. He can come across very direct. And yet here we see kind of like his pastor's heart, his shepherd's heart. And he's, he's saying, you know, this is, a, this is a brother to brother plea. And I think that sometimes in the church we have to remember that we're all just human beings. We're all made in the image of God, and we're all messed up. And sometimes the ask between one another is just a human ask out of honor and recognition that we're made in the image of God, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Can we give each other that? You know, it reminds me of a scene from the movie Notting Hill with Julia Roberts. She's, she's a movie star, very famous. She's standing in front of Hugh Grant, and a romance is brewing, and yet there's this tension in the relationship, and she says, you know, you need to remember that I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him, to love me. Now I know that that might be a little disturbing to some of you that I can quote that. I can also quote Full Metal Jacket and uh, A Few Good Men, so like, come on, don't get all weird on me now. Just hang with me here. But I just want you to know that I really like that movie. That's a moment. And I think that that expresses that human ask that we have of each other. Paul calls Onesimus his son, which is a way of referring to his relationship to him, that he probably led him to Christ. He's not his human son, but his spiritual son. And there's not, we don't have any information about how Paul and Onesimus intersected with one another. 
they likely were not in prison together because runaway slaves would be in chains, and Paul is not in chains. He's more of a political prisoner. But there's two ways that Paul and Onesimus could have been connected. One, just randomly, Paul could have been preaching somewhere, and Onesimus became a Christian. Or it's even possible that Onesimus heard of things. He's in this turmoil because his conscience is bothering him. He's probably scared as an escaped slave of being found out. And he becomes attracted to the message of the gospel of Paul, and he comes to him. We don't really know. But Paul says in verse 12 of his son, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. You know, again, you really see how much Paul cares for Onesimus. That you can just feel his heart coming through in this situation. Which is important because look what he's asking of Philemon in verse 15. I'm asking that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. Paul is asking Philemon, would you, would you consider allowing your escaped slave to come back? But when he comes back, to come back without any punishment of any kind, and to not come back as a slave, but come back as a brother. And that's not all he asked. He goes on to say, as we'll see here, that he, he wasn't a very good worker before. But I want you to trust him now, Paul says. And I want you to forgive any loss that you incurred because of his absence or in the way he escaped. Some scholars believe that Onesimus stole on his way out so that he would have a way of escaping. Paul says, that's all I'm asking And it is just an ask. I want you to see that in verse 14. I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. That is, this thing, this huge thing I'm asking of you, I'm not demanding it. I'm the Apostle Paul, but that's not what I'm throwing down today. I'm asking you to do it for a different reason. I don't know why Paul doesn't simply command Philemon to do this. He certainly doesn't shy away from making a command decision. But this is, again, a human ask on the basis of different values than, than what he would normally bring out. What would make this decision difficult for Philemon? You think about this. Like, this is a huge ask. Well, there's a couple things, and these are in your notes. First of all, this goes totally against his cultural norms and his personal traditions. You see, at this time, the whole of society has a backdrop of slavery. At least 50% of the population are slaves. And so, for Philemon to process this, in a, in a cultural context where the, what Paul is asking just isn't done. It's not culturally acceptable, and it's likely not personally ex, uh, acceptable to Philemon because of his own traditions and his own way of understanding. 
And this brings to mind for me um, that even during the civil rights movement, um, some ministers, some Christians were still saying that slavery is an institution of God, that, that a black person is not equal to a white person, and so they can't drink in the same water fountain. They can't eat in the same place in a restaurant. They have to use a different bathroom. This, you know, that's not all Christians, but that was part of the cultural and traditional understanding not that far from this day. So just try to find something that you can latch onto to, real, to, to more fully understand what, how this just goes against everything that's in Philemon at this time. And then the other thing that would make it difficult is the first century teaching on societal structure. Now, I want to, you remember I said that Philemon resided in and, and hosted a church in his home in Colossae. And we have in Paul's letter to the Colossians, which surely, which Philemon is familiar with, in Colossians 3.22, Paul writes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Hmm. Put that in the chat. If that makes you kind of like think. This is Paul's teaching. If, if, it, if it takes you back, like I think it did Philemon, would you just put hmm? Because this is, this is dramatic and radical what he's, what he's asking Philemon to do. Now as a sidebar, you like me, you may wonder, like why, why don't the New Testament writers, in particular Paul, why don't they come out against slavery and we really don't know um, why don't they're just not explicit in it but we have a hint in Titus 2 9 which is a letter Paul wrote to this individual who is pastoring a church and he says teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything to try to please them not to talk back to them and not to steal from them he might have had Onesimus in mind here but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. I don't know that that's the answer, but like there's something to think about in this. That it's possible that in the early church, in this first century church, to take a stand, an explicit stand against something that was unjust at that time would have hindered the gospel. I know that sounds weird, but we see that in different markers throughout history that it seems like it would be addressed, but it wasn't until later. And Paul here seems to indicate that the gospel's forward movement is preeminent. So sometimes, for the gospel's sake, we, we maintain a tradition or we maintain something. That, and in other times, for the gospel's sake, it's time to move on and let that thing go. Either way, this would have been a huge ask by Paul. It goes against everything that Philemon would have understood and felt. And as I pointed out, it goes against what Paul has written to this church. He's asking him to give a mulligan. So upon what basis does Paul do this? What causes Paul, what is his logic to have Philemon take Onesimus back. There are four things that he notes. 
First of all, love. In verse 8, he says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, I appeal to you on the basis of love. Paul says, I can make you do this. I'm I'm the apostle Paul. I'm over this church, and I could say you must do this. And yet, he's saying that love is the basis for the change And even how Paul is asking, he's modeling love in this way. You see, running away is a capital offense. For a slave to run away, it means execution. Yet Paul appeals to Philemon on the basis of love. You know, everything uh, that the apostles teach and that we find in the writings of the early church, it all goes back to what Jesus called the great commandment when he was asked, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. In other words, I mean, Jesus said all of the law and the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. And so we see that when Jesus came to this earth, he instituted a new way of thinking that wasn't based on law. It was based on love, love for God and love for your neighbor. And the reason why he says the, all the commandments hang on that is you can figure out anything just by this simple teaching. Really, you can. It's like if I love God and I love people just like God loves them, like, like I want to be loved, then I can figure out the stuff that isn't explicit. That's what's happening here. We can't always give someone what they deserve. In fact, I don't know about you, but I don't want what I deserve. And Micah, Micah, the prophet Micah, he demonstrates how often we have to sort things out that like they don't seem to come together. But in Micah 6, 8, he says, I've sh- he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He says, that these things, justice and mercy and humility, sometimes it's hard to bring those together, right? There's the right thing. I want to do the just thing. But then there's mercy, which can be different. And then there's humility in how we bring them together. It's like we have to consider all of these. You know, no one can tell you when to override your traditions or your personal doctrinal beliefs. Only you can decide that, but I can tell you that if you're a Christian for any length of time, you will be confronted with this conflict. And often, as a Christian, you will be called to elevate love over your tradition. The second reason Paul says that Philemon should take Onesimus back is usefulness. Usefulness. In verse 11, he says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me, and I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he can take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. And you see Paul using these two words like he used to be useless 
Now he's useful to both of us. So there's this dramatic change that has happened in the life of Onesimus, and I just can't help but wonder, like often when someone becomes a Christian, something, something comes alive in them that was dead before, and their level of usefulness becomes so much greater in the kingdom of God. I mean, Christians, when you become a Christian, you change. God loves us just the way we are, but he doesn't leave us that way. And some of us, the change both inside and then also on the outside has made us more useful. Isn't that true? So it makes you wonder, like, why does Paul send them back if he's become so useful to him. Why not just keep them and avoid the drama altogether? It makes me ask, how hard is it going to be for Philemon to receive him back in the way that Paul is saying? He's not saying go back and just take him back as a slave and punish him, which would be the letter of the law, right? And then it makes me think, like, how hard was it for Onesimus to go back? He's taken a huge risk He's being so vulnerable in following through on what Paul is asking him to do. But the bottom line, the thing that drives it all is how useful can he be for the sake of the kingdom? And I think that Onesimus wanted that. He wanted to be used by God. Third reason Paul asks Philemon to take Onesimus back is, he says, take a different perspective of this. Take another look at it. Step back and see it from a different angle. You guys are all familiar with, you know, how a referee's call can be challenged. And nowhere is this more, like, intentional about getting the calls right than uh, in the NBA. Uh, They have a call review or replay center in New Jersey and there are almost a hundred HD screens in there and they have 30 different like booths where there are referees professional NBA referees that are constantly watching every game every um, every sports arena where there's professional basketball has this connection and it's it's so fast the, the, uh, the, the Wi-Fi connection, whatever, is so fast that they could download the entire um, Library of Congress in 30 minutes, 158 million uh, books. It's super fast, and it's also they can get the, the call right. So in the NBA, you have these people just sitting in booths, constantly watching what the refs are, the decisions they're making, and they think that they get it right, but like there's somebody who has a different perspective. These guys have the advantage of seeing all these different camera angles, and you've seen calls overturned in the NBA, in the NFL. That's kind of the picture here. Paul's saying, step back and look at this from another angle. In verse 15, he says, perhaps, perhaps the reason he was separated from you, and I'm sure that Philemon was saying, well, the reason why he separated is he stole from me and ran away. But Paul's saying, take another look at it. For a little while was that you might have him back for good. That no longer as a slave, but better than that, better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, 
both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Do you see that different perspective that he's bringing out? He's asking, he's asking Philemon to think about, like, how could God be in this? How could God turn something that, that was bad and I feel wronged, I feel taken advantage of, how can he turn this into something that is so much greater than I could have ever imagined. What could I learn in this? This person that, if I'm Philemon, I think of as useless, as a slave that belongs to me, I own him, and he's wronged me, and he's due punishment, and if I don't punish him, what will happen to all my other slaves? I'm supposed to see him as a brother, as a co-worker, you know, when, when we follow Jesus, and we, there's so much that we're supposed to be thinking about in our faith. You know, Psalm 1 talks about how the, the, the person who meditates on God's law day and night is, is the tree that will always bloom and will always have fruit. You're probably familiar with that psalm. But he, he says, he uses this word meditate, which means the, to go over and over and over again. And it's like, it's not just scripture, but it's thinking about scripture and thinking about life and bringing these pieces together. And I think we can get too simple in that. And what Paul is really asking Philemon to do is don't follow the little well-worn path that you have. Your natural thinking and perhaps what some of your friends are telling you or other congregants, think differently. This groove that you have can become a rut after a while that you can't see out of. And Paul simply says, just, he's not giving the answer. He's not saying this is it. He just says, perhaps it could be this. It reminds me of Joseph and his brothers. You know, you're, you're probably familiar with like what happened to Joseph by his brothers. And then there's this great verse, some people call it the Genesis 50-20 principle, but when his brothers return to him and they discover that it's Joseph, with all they've done, they're fearful for their lives. And Joseph says this in Genesis 50-20, you intended to harm me in the things that you did, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And you know, like we just read that and we say, yeah, you know, Joseph forgave his brothers. But you know, doesn't that, doesn't that simple thought that he expresses in a, in a sentence, doesn't it represent probably years of thinking this over and like kind of flipping it around in his mind and taking scripture and what God is teaching him in his own experiences and to rethink that to a point that he comes up with this ridiculous out-of-the-box perspective. It says, all these things that happened have brought me to this point. Joseph could see that because he thought about these things. So often, as Christians, shallow or even reactive thinking to our situation, to a conflict we have in a marriage or with a friend or at our church or a scripture that we just feel like we've got that and that verse pops up and it just right away triggers the same thoughts. It's like, I think God's calling us to think more deeply about things. 
Isn't that what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount? He, he said, you've been taught this all your life. You've heard it said, but I say. Isn't Jesus in that moment, and we're going to do the Sermon on the Mount in uh, five weeks from now. We're going to go through it. But isn't Jesus calling them in that moment to rethink? Paul says, perhaps this all happened for a reason that you, can't, you couldn't see initially. Last. He says that you should take Onesimus back as a brother because of the, for the sake of their partnership. That's the word that he uses, verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done, in, done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. If so, if Timothy was even writing this part, maybe Paul took the the quill or whatever from his hand, he said, I'm writing this part in my own hand. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. <laughs> Paul throws that in. I do wish, brother, that if I had some benefit from you in the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ. So he really, he really presses in with Philemon to say, listen, we're in partnership with one another, and I have an ask of you. Our relationship is centered on Christ. That's the thing that's preeminent. And the, this partnership word, it's koinonia. It's, it's what we talk about like being sharers with one another in our faith. I wonder if Paul didn't learn something from his conflict with John Mark earlier in Acts 15.38 when uh, they were when they split ways, and I wonder if he didn't think about the times that's happened in his ministry and thought, you know, this one I don't want it to happen. And he even says, I'll pick up the cost. I'll cover it. And so what Paul is asking Philemon to do, he's actually living out. What, what Paul is doing is he's living out the gospel. He's saying that there's a thing between you and this other brother but I'll pick up the cost. And that creates a relationship that you didn't have before. You are in partnership. You are in koinonia with one another because somebody paid the price for you. Someone took care of your debt as well. There's something bigger than the issue here, Paul says. It's our relationship in Jesus Christ and the mission that God has given us to do together. And here's the cool part. I'm wrapping up here. This letter ends with Paul committing himself to Philemon. And this will jump off the page to you when, you when you think about this as much as I've had to for this message. Paul says, I'm committed to this relationship regardless. In verse 21, he says, I'm confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will even do more than I ask. So he's saying, hey, I think that you're going to do this. And, you're, and in a way, he's bringing in obedience, but he's not demanding it. But he's, all, he's predicting, hey, we're going to be on the same page on this. But even if we're not, verse 22, one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in the answer to your prayer. So remember at this point, Paul has no idea what Philemon's going to do when he writes this letter. And so this could go south. Philemon could get mad. This is a ridiculous ask. It's way beyond what you should, 
you could ever ask of me, and yet Paul says, whatever happens, I'm planning on coming and staying at your crib. I'm going to stay at your place. Prepare a guest room for me. And what, what this says is Paul is saying, whatever you decide, I'm still your friend. Wow. That's powerful. You know, Paul is cashing in some chips with Philemon in this ask, but his letter's also teaching us something. When you look at Philemon, it's like, I know Paul is saying, like, everything in you is saying you should respond in this way. Your culture's telling you. It's always been this way. Your tradition is telling you. It's like, this is, this is how things are done. And even your doctrinal understanding, even what I wrote to you in another letter, is telling you this. But what Paul is bringing out in this little letter is that there are higher principles. It's not a compromise. It's the Apostle Paul. It's not liberal. What he's saying is the gospel outweighs a lot of things that are part of our culture and our traditions. And I'll tell you, if you you haven't made the connections already, this applies to the half the church conversation, in particular for those of you who you're struggling with the board's decision or like that you've kind of grown up with this tradition that women don't have these roles, you know, and men have these, and it's like it's a struggle for you. And you can point to things and you can point to traditions the way it should be, and so this conversation makes you uncomfortable. I want you to see that in this case, there's variance in the Scripture. Women led in the Bible. We've, we've looked at that. Women spoke in the Bible. Women's words are recorded as Scripture in the Bible. And there are great explanations for why Paul said one thing in one place and something else in another. We have to think deeply about these things. But if there's given, if there is variance in spite of the fact if we have a tradition or a doctrine or a way of life, there, there's another angle to take. There are greater values in play, and I believe that these values are the things that Christians need to learn today, and certainly Sunridge has needed to learn for a very long time. The values in play here are love, usefulness. I mean, if we talk, I mean, how are we going to love our sisters in this church? How are we going to love people who are gifted and come to this congregation? What's the best way to love them? What about usefulness? What, What an incredible, remarkable team we have here men and women, shouldn't they be able to express fully the usefulness that God has given them? When you're challenged by that, I challenge you to take a different perspective and think about the things that we've talked about. How that there are things that we read explicitly in the Bible, we're not, we're not doing them and we're okay with it. Why? Why is that? We've looked at the original design. 
of men and women and the calling that God has given them. We have looked at power structures and how in the kingdom of God, our headship concept doesn't come from a hierarchical, there's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this pecking order. They're in a mutually submissive relationship, and so should we be. And we've looked at how we can't just cherry-pick verses out from Paul's letters and say, well, that's it, when there's so many other pieces, so many other things that he says, and we have to think deeply and understand them in their context. And lastly, we're in partnership. We are a family of God. These are our sisters. These are our sisters in the Lord, and we are the family of God. All of these things that Paul writes to Philemon, I think they apply to our situation. I ask you to think about them, and even if you won't, even if you're just unwilling, I want you to know something. I'm still committed to you. You don't have to prepare a guest room for me, okay? Because I'm not coming to stay at your house. But I want you to know, as your pastor, as a friend, I'm still committed to you. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to uh, worship together. While they're coming up, what do you think Philemon did? What do you think? We don't know, do we? We don't have the answer, and, I, and there's something in that, that the, that loop isn't closed to make us think, right? I, I don't know about you, but I like to think that he, that he did it. I even wonder, like, as he came back, did, did Philemon, like, did he just, like, make him part of his household? Did he adopt him as a son? Not just, not just like, hey, you can live here and we'll be co-workers. I wonder if it went deeper than that. I like to think that. I like to think that at some point even Philemon released all of his slaves because he saw how the gospel speaks into that. He might have been the first revolutionary doing that at great cost to him by the way I don't know it's just something to think about what did he do what would you do what are you going to do that's the question let's pray God I thank you uh, for your word I thank you that we have to struggle with it and I thank you for the tremendous people that you've put around me to help me struggle with it. I pray for our church, for Sunridge, that you would continue to guide us forward. And I pray that all of us would come, come to this issue and the many others that life is going to throw at us, that's throwing at us right now, that we would come at it as brothers and sisters in Christ with a fresh perspective and humbly and that you would be glorified and the gospel would go forward and your kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.